Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you would, be open your Bibles to Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians, the third chapter. If you're looking in a pew Bible, it'll be around page 1046, 1047. I encourage you to open your Bible. We won't have slides tonight. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can encourage you, and we want to encourage you to come back every opportunity you have, but especially come back on May 15th and bring a friend with you, and let's all be sure and do that. Now is the time to really get serious about who you're going to invite, and this week you really need to be making your invitations so that folks have time to plan and prepare and, and put this important date on their schedule. You know, we're riding to school, one day this past week, and, and Emily says to me, she says, Dad, I'm so excited. Why is that? She said, I invited a lot of friends. She said one of them came back yesterday and said she talked to her mama, and she is coming to Friends Day. And I said, well, that's great, Emily. She said, you know, Dad, this is the first time that I've ever done it all by myself. And uh, I said, well, that, that's great, Emily. She paused just a minute, and she said, wow, it feels good. Uh, I hope you know that good feeling. <clears throat> There's nothing like inviting a friend and them coming to Friends Day. And if you don't know that feeling, you really ought to try it. Uh, she may only be eight years old, but I guarantee she's right about that. It really feels good. And I would say that it probably makes the Lord feel as well as it makes us feel. So let's make sure that, that we do our part of, of doing the very best thing that we could ever do for a friend. You know, if you talk about yourself being a, a genuine and true friend... You really need to put yourself to the test. Are we really a genuine, true friend? Because a true friend would definitely encourage their friends uh, to come and hear about Jesus. And so let's make sure that we are that true friend. If, if you haven't yet taken some of the little postcards, the invitation cards, they are in the foyer. Be sure and pick some of those up tonight on your way out and have those with you so that you can invite friends this week for that. We're continuing a study through a tremendous book, and that is the book of Colossians, a book that magnifies Christ. It is great for you and I to be content with what we have, but let's never be content with who we are. There's always room for improvement, and the greatest challenge that's ever been placed before us is that phrase that we've been building this whole study in Colossians out of Colossians, the third chapter, and in verse 4, when he says, beginning with that phrase, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Can I really say Christ is my life? I can say that I want Christ to be my life, and I can say I'm giving my best for Christ to be my life, but you know there's room for me to improve in that. And that probably is the same for you also. And tonight we take that study where Paul takes that study, and as we go towards the last paragraph in Colossians the third chapter, he places a huge challenge upon our plate as we make Christ our life. He says, I want you to really think about it, wives. Are you making Christ your life in your home, the way you're dwelling with your husbands. And then he places that same challenge to husbands, the way they deal with their wives. We won't have time to go beyond that tonight, but just so we see what this paragraph is about, then he challenges children to do the same thing. Are they making Christ their life by the way they interact with their parents? And then also parents, especially fathers, he mentions there, to their children. But then he even takes it further than that. He says, I want to talk to those of you that are servants and slaves. Are you serving your master in such a way that they can tell by the way you serve 
that Christ is their life. Now, parallel to us today would be, how do you do in the workplace? Can your employer tell that Christ is your life by your conduct, by your integrity, by the way that you work when you're supposed to work and you carry out the job in a responsible fashion? But then he turns that same teaching around to look also to the employers, in other words, the masters over the servants. And he says, are you conducting yourself in the way that it shows Christ is your life? Let's look at those first two. And if you'll notice, our scripture reading tonight is very short. But Paul says so much that challenges us in our homes and our marriages. Here we are in Colossians, the third chapter, verse 18 and 19. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. It's interesting that when we look at the phrase there in verse 18 that says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. I've noticed recently when I've studied several different passages that dealt with husbands and wives, how frequently God wants us to think about the fact that not only those of us that are married, we have a husband or, or a wife, but God places strong emphasis, and the reason I say that is because He mentions it so often. The, the repetition places an emphasis where He's saying, I want you to constantly be reminded it's your own husband, your own wife. Now, all of us, perhaps, that have given our children a, a puppy or some kind of little pet, what's that little speech that we always give them as we're giving them that pet? You remember it. It's now that you have ownership, along with his ownership comes responsibility. I believe that that's one of the things that God's emphasizing to us when he says over and over, I want you to realize this isn't just your husband, this is your own husband. Along with this, ownership comes responsibility. And the same would be true uh, for the husbands. They have not just a wife, but they have their own wife. Let's look to one example of this as we go back to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter... The last paragraph, Paul is pleading for us to have our bodies under control, to not let sin reign in our life, and especially in this last paragraph, he's talking about fornication. Now, if we looked at verse 20, he would say, For you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, because we belong to Jesus... We need to do with our body what Jesus would want us to do with our body. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Ye are not your own. That old saying was, My body, I'll do what I want. Not if we're Christians. Our body belongs to Christ. We've been bought with a price. Because of that, Christ has the right to tell us in verse 18, Flee sexual immorality. That's the setting going into the seventh chapter. Even though we say, well, the seventh chapter is a chapter about marriage, really the seventh chapter could have began several verses early because what he's doing is he's talking about sexual purity. And so he's saying avoid sexual immorality. Now let's continue this thought as we go into the seventh chapter. And notice as we read here in verse 2, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality... Let each man have, and here we go, his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Why should we get married? Well, there's a, a long list of reasons to get married, and, and we should fulfill probably all of those reasons before we get married. 
But one of the reasons that God gives about a reason to get married, she says, is to keep yourself sexually pure, to avoid sexual immorality. Instead of each one going out and fulfilling their sexual needs, however their body would desire, he says, you need to take and have all of this within the boundaries of marriage. You have your own husband. You have your own wife. Now, along with this ownership, remember, he's placed the emphasis here in verse 2 of own husband, own wife. Do you think there comes any responsibility? Let's look at verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Ladies, you're going to like this verse. And let wise, and likewise also the wives to her husbands. Now, how many men say, I'm just not the affectionate type? Why don't you try not paying your power bill for a few months? Just don't pay it. And when they come and, and ask for money, say, I'm just, I'm just not the cash type of guy. I just don't like, I don't like paying. I'm just not that type. Well, sir, you could write a check. I'm just not the check kind of guy. I'm just not that type. Well, sir, we, you can even pay with a credit card. I'm just not a credit card type of guy. What's going to happen? It doesn't work that way, does it? Sir, if you're going to own this house and if this house is going to have power in it, along with that ownership, it's going to come the responsibility. You have to pay for that. Let's look again at the wording here about affection. Look at verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Now what does that bill say when it comes from the power company? It says due date. It says amount due. God says, listen, if you want a wife, if you want your own wife, Along with that ownership comes some responsibility. Okay, Lord, what's the responsibility? You're going to have to pay her something. She's due this. You owe it to her, so therefore render this to her. Okay, Lord, what is it you want me to render to her? Be affectionate to her. Oh, well, I'm just... No. If you get married, your own wife, it's due. Pay it. Not the hand-holding type of guy. You just became one if you have a wife. It's not my style to call in the middle of the day to leave a little note. Well, maybe we need to stop and listen to that same speech we've given our children about having their puppy. Along with ownership comes responsibility. And so it is, he makes it very clear as he places the emphasis on the word O-W-N your own wife. Now the rest of the physical relationship is talked about in verse 5 when he says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, he's, in, in what we're studying tonight, started out at the end of the sixth chapter saying, flee sexual immorality. Do not have that kind of conduct outside of the boundary of marriage. Then he says, now, once you have your own wife and your own husband, make sure that that sexual conduct is within the boundaries of marriage and make sure that you're paying what is 
due. God has made men and women have needs. There's a long list of needs that each spouse would have. I'm not talking about just wants and desires. I'm talking about things that if a relationship is going to be healthy, these things are needed. God's saying, if you have your own spouse, nobody else should be fulfilling those needs. That's at the end of 1 Corinthians 6. That's immorality. But make sure that those needs are being fulfilled. That's responsibility. Your own spouse. So back to Colossians, the third chapter. In Colossians, the third chapter, in verse 2 there, where he was speaking to the wives especially, in third chapter, in verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your own husband. So now let's think. We've looked at the idea of where the Lord, speaking to husbands and wives, talks about the ownership. But now he says to the wives, he says, Submit to your own husbands. The idea of submission is something, and if you would, be turning to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, as we move into this, of thinking about submission. Submission is something that we must not see it. And let's just be real honest with ourselves, okay? Let's, we're not going to do ourselves any favor in learning God's wisdom if, if we try to pretend and play games with ourselves. And so I'm the one preaching, and you can agree or disagree with it, but just be honest with yourself. We don't do a very good job thinking that submission is a beautiful thing, but yet God presents it as a beautiful thing. You know, you, you, you see guys kind of puff out their chest and, and an employer comes by and asks something of them and then they say, I, I hate it when people tell me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. Or a wife says, a wife says, I, I don't, I'm not going to submit to any man. Or even we have little elementary school kids saying, no teacher's going to tell me when to do my homework. Does that kind of attitude, mentality, lifestyle come from God? In other words, does God say, let me warn you, submission is a terrible thing. Nobody submit. Now, you're going to have some elders over you, but rebel against them. Don't submit to those elders. You're going to have authorities in your land cause a ruckus, cause a riot. Don't submit to your authorities in the land. You're going to have mamas and daddies as children. Be rebellious children. You'll be much better off. Don't submit. Doesn't that sound so ridiculous? Where do we get in our mind that the idea for a woman to submit is something horrible? It's not of God. And I need to really be honest with myself this evening and say, why is it that that rubs me the wrong way if in fact it does? Because God would present it as a beautiful plan for the family. Now, if God is all-knowing and God knows what's best, I have to stop and ask myself, if I don't see it that way, what am I missing? If God says, look at this plan, look how wonderful it is, I must be the one that's missing it. And so we see here the, the order of headship as we look in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and verse 3. You can almost write this verse out as a chart. And he says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. In other words, this chart at the top of it would be God is head of Christ, 
Christ is head of man, man is head of woman. He said, okay, well, why is it in that order, especially as we come here to the man and to the woman? You know, we like to have reasons for things, and so God gives us reasons. And I'll be honest with you, I can't explain all of the reasons that God would give except for what God has given. And so let's skip down and let's see the reason why it's man and woman. Verse 8 and 9, for man is not from woman, but woman from man. So... Number one, in verse 8, he would say it was the order of creation because man was created and then woman was created from the man's rib. And then verse 9, nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So not only is it the order of creation, but also it was the design of creation. God designed the submission to be that way. Someone says... I just don't see why God would say that, that women are, are less important or that women are, are less uh, intelligent or less capable of leading. God never said that. You see, I have to realize that submission has nothing to do with someone's worth or with their essence. As a matter of fact, if I believe that, I'd have to go back to that very same verse back there in verse 3 where it says, Christ is submissive to the Father. Does that mean if Christ submits to the Father that, that God the Father is worth more than God the Son? Does that mean that God the Father is more intelligent than God the Son? And all of those things that's oftentimes thrown out as discussion for, for when we talk about women submitting to men, all of a sudden it makes no sense when we talk about the relationship between God and Christ. But yet when Christ came to this earth, He fully submitted to the will of God. I want to remind you of a passage, Galatians the third chapter and verse 28. In Galatians the third chapter and 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, with Christ, men and women are of equal worth. Keep in mind, Christ was coming to a world that in the day and time that he lived, there was a class that would be the free men. And once you left the free men, there would be a significant drop of respect for women, children, and slaves. Those would be on very similar levels so far as classes in society. Jesus came to this earth to say, listen, I value a slave as much as I value a free man. I value a Gentile as much as I value a Jew. I value a woman as much as I value a man. Jesus was coming trying to raise the worth of many individuals that society had depressed. But yet, he still came to say, I want to tell you the plan. The plan that has been in the work since the very beginning. And just as it was a beautiful thing for Christ to submit to the Father, it was a beautiful thing for woman to submit to man. There's nothing negative about that at all. 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, I'm sorry, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14th chapter. 1 Corinthians 14th chapter, we see how this submission affects aspects of our day and aspects of our week. For example, here tonight, if you're a visitor for the first time, you may have noticed that no women have led 
and service. That's one of the things that visitors very quickly recognize. And so then questions would naturally arise. Is, are there no women capable? Are there no women intelligent? Are there no women spiritual? Well, none of those things. Uh, we have definitely capable, spiritual, intelligent women here. Well, why is it then that they're not leading the entire church in worship or in Bible study and etc.? One example of this is in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, as we strive to simply follow God's teaching here. He says in verse 34, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are... Now notice, what is it? They are to be submissive. So the role of women in the church, what's the role? Well, it has to do with submission. What's the role of woman in the home? It has to do with that of submission. And notice he says, as the law also says. We're not 100% sure what he means when he says the law also says, but we know this, it was a law of God, and he's speaking to something that, that they would have known well. He's probably speaking the law that came out of the order of creation and the design of creation and he's saying, in other words, since the beginning, we've known that this is the will of God. Now, as we think more about that silence, many questions can be asked. What is meant by that silence? So let's go to 1 Timothy, the second chapter. In 1 Timothy, the second chapter, we see more clarification on the role of a woman as it pertains to uh, the, the teaching and, and a worship setting leading men and etc. And he says in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence. Now here we go. It's again with all submission. Then he says in 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now why? Remember when we studied back in 1 Corinthians 11 that it was because of the order of creation, design of creation. Remember when we studied in 1 Corinthians 14, it was because of a law that God had already set into motion. Let's read again the reasoning here. We go to verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So it's the order of creation. Then verse 14. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in transgression. So then, second reason given here, it's the order of sin. Which sinned first? So it is. It has nothing to do with the essence, the worth, the ability, the spirituality, any of those things. It's God's plan, that of submission. Now, if you'll notice back in the text, he ties something to that that is very, very important in Colossians 3 and 18. He says, Wives, men unto your own husbands, and I notice this, as is fitting in the Lord. You ever heard a woman say, you don't know my husband. He's not worth submitting to. I don't know if any woman has a husband that just on the husband's own merit is worth submitting to. But that's neither here nor there because that's not why Christian women submit to men. You see, he made it real clear right here, the reason the submission is done is because it's fitting to the Lord. A Christian woman doesn't submit to her husband because of her husband. 
because of her God. I like that phrase, fitting to the Lord. And if you would be turning to 1 Peter, the third chapter, but let's think about that phrase, fitting to the Lord. If you will, just imagine with me, uh, you have two windows, and you want a shelf placed just between those two windows. And, of course, you want it to look nice. And if you're a carpenter or do-it-yourself type person, you're out there working on it. If not, you've had somebody to come in and, and you want them to, to fix those shelves there and you want it to look nice. And so first the, it's put up and, and the, the shelves don't fit in that space. They actually hang over the windows. And you're like, oh, oh, that, that just won't work. No, that, that looks terrible. That doesn't fit there. So you bring it down and measure again and make adjustments and saw and, and you put it back up and, and then there's kind of that sigh, oh, that fits just right. Perfect fit. You remember in Colossians we're talking about Christ who is our life. When does a woman in her household have a perfect fit so that it can truly be said of her, Christ is my life. In Colossians 3 and 18, he'd say, when she's submitting to her husband. What about if her husband doesn't always do right? Let's look at 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 1 and 2. Wives, likewise, be submissive. Now, here we go. To your own husband. See how we have the word own again? Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some, talking about some of the husbands of these wives, do not obey the word. So, in other words, here is a husband that's an unbeliever. They, the husbands, without a word, that's without their nagging, may be one that is one to Christ. How? By the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So here is a husband that is not living a Christian life. And you can imagine the question arising, do we still submit to husbands that aren't living a Christian life? And he says, absolutely, you're not submitting because of the man, you're submitting because of your God. Well, even if they don't do right, what do I do? A wife could ask. You do right. You allow your chaste conduct to be the sermon that that individual hears every day and he throws in there, it's not going to be by your words. In other words, it's not going to be by nagging that a woman brings her husband to Christ. It's by that pure conduct that is submissive to him which ultimately shows that she is submissive to God. In Colossians, the third chapter, he says in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. We're out of time, so let me, and I know you women are saying, ah, he planned it that way. We really didn't plan it that way. But, um, but, but think with me, and we can make this point. It's, it, it's really neat, and, and we ought to be able to make it in just a minute or two here. Isn't it interesting that he puts that, I'll be honest with you, I first read this verse, I think, Paul, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't seem to fit together. Like Paul's writings just, you know, when you study them in depth, they just fit together like a hand and glove. And this one, it's like, okay, Paul, I see you telling husbands, love your wives, but then I, I see you talking about that you do not be bitter toward them. How do those two really go hand in hand? Well, of course, they seem like far extremes. They don't seem like hand in hand. 
But you know, just like he was telling the wives, I want you to submit to your husband. In other words, I want you to live a righteous life, not because who your husband is, who your God is. That may be what he had in mind here when he says to the men, I want you to agape your husbands. The agape, or to the husbands, agape the wives. Agape is a, is a commitment. It's a decision to do what's right and best toward another. So he's saying, I want you to do what's right and best toward your wife. Now notice, it not be bitter toward them. Husbands, have you ever had a wife that has provoked you so that you're angry and so that you're bitter? In other words, it could be that God is saying here, I want you to do the right thing. That's show agape. That's show love towards them no matter what they do. Don't show bitterness. Show love. Why would we do that? And again, the reason we would do that is not because who our wife is, but because who our God is. As we close this lesson, I want to really challenge you, and I'm going to start right here on these toes. For all of us that are married, our spouse is going to do something this week that sets with us the wrong way. Will our reaction be more from a human standpoint, or will our reaction show and prove Christ is our life? And so we do the right thing toward them, not because what they did or didn't do, we do the right thing toward them because who our God is. That's unconditional love. It's all about who our God is. Can we say tonight, Christ who is our life? If so, your spouse ought to be able to know that that's true. They ought to know it more than anybody. Can you say Christ is your life? If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, won't you do that tonight, making Christ your life? If you have been baptized into Christ, but... You can't honestly say right now that Christ is my life. Won't you repent of those sins and, and come back and, and confessing sin, let's pray forgiveness. But let's all leave here, not with just a verbal announcement, but let's leave here tonight with a renewed effort and spirit within us that we really want Christ to be our life, including in our homes. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.